I only go to get my parcel and they'll ask me, are you busy tonight? I say I might be playing Xbox, I've caught chicken pox Or any other excuse, they could say there'll be a man breathing fire Tyro walking a high wire, no I never mean to be rude I'm never really interested, not even when they've instead it Unless they say there's free drinks and food Hello and welcome to the new episode of the Free Food Free Drinks podcast. We're on episode five now. Can you believe it? We've already made it to episode five. Quite remarkable, really. We have a wonderful podcast lined up for you. Today, we're talking to Paula DL from Staffordshire University. I am part of a really good team at the university. And it feels very good to be part of such a passionate team. The university itself, we're a modern university. We know what we are and we're very proud of what we are. But in doing that, it is about making sure that everybody knows they have their part to play. We had a long discussion with Paula and it was really engaging, really wonderful to talk to her. I know, Rebecca, you've met her a few times and it was my first time virtually meeting her. But she's such a nice person, isn't she? She's just so lovely. Yeah, every time you have a chat with Paula, it's like having a hug. She's just so nice and so informative and experienced and always willing to give great advice and share best practice. That's what I love most about her. Yeah, absolutely. And I think as you will all hear through the podcast coming up, she's so passionate about what she does and she's so involved in what she does. Her insight is is really quite something. And even when you know she's unsure about something or is not confident about what's coming in the future, there's the, the sort of a level of assurance that comes from her. And I think that must be something so that her staff must be so grateful for that level of assurances. Absolutely. And I think um, we came away from that podcast thinking, hmm, I wonder if there's any jobs at Staffordshire University and Paula's team. We're all kind of brushing <laughs> up our CVs maybe after that. Yeah, it was it was a really wonderful discussion about quite a wide range of topics. But we spoke a little bit about her, a little bit about her experiences at Staffordshire and how staffs are dealing with the COVID-19 crisis. And then we branched out to widening participation, which is an element of Paula's remit and discuss what WP might look like in the future post COVID-19. So let's listen to what Paula had to say. Paula has extensive experience working in higher education and is currently the head of student support, well-being and inclusion at Staffordshire University. Prior to this, she was a residential life manager for five years at Manchester Metropolitan University, working with her team to create and deliver an award-winning programme. Paula was also recognised by KUOI in 2016 when she won the New Professional Award and in addition, she is no stranger to the student services sector having delivered numerous engaging and insightful presentations at ASRA, KUBO and the Class of 2020. I've been to lots of them so I can tell you they are always brilliant. And while she doesn't talk about it much, Paula is also Dr Paula having obtained a PhD exploring the subject of, wait for it, presidential rhetoric, George W. Bush, and the construction of otherness post 9-11. That, my friends, is a separate podcast episode all by itself. Paula, a big welcome to the Free Food, Free Drinks podcast. We are super excited and delighted to have you with us today. Similar to all of our recent guests, we can't avoid the question or the C word, but how are you doing amid all the difficulties that no doubt COVID has brought to you and your team at Staffordshire? Well, to, thank you. Thank you very much. And it's lovely to be here. So good to be talking to you, Rebecca, and you, Rob. Um, and thank you very much for the invite. I do appreciate that. So COVID-19, 
I, to be fair to you, I think in many ways, the university were prepared as well as any university could be prepared. We had been planning for it since the middle of January, knowing, never having any idea that it was going to get to where we are today, but knowing at some point it could get difficult and that if this pandemic spread, because at that point it wasn't spreading to the same extent, it could have huge implications for the university, as it has done. And and I think because we started planning so early, it, it put us in a really good position insofar as we were thinking about what the possibilities could be. The academics have absolutely pulled everything out to um, deliver online academic training for the last term of the year, and everything has gone online where possible. Now, we're in a, an interesting position that because we're in, in based in Stoke, where, of course, that's where the potteries originally from, and some of our classes are around the potteries. So they're, they're going to be delayed a bit in being able to do their final practical placements because they need to be back on campus to be able to be social distance and actually use the kilns and everything else for the potteries. And if, obviously, there'll always be a few things that don't work online, such as that. But apart from that, they are doing everything online. And the students have been great. It's not what they expected. They've taken it in, in their stride. By and large, they've taken it in their stride. And we've worked with them to make it work for them. So that means extensions on all courses so that people can adjust to what it means to have delivery online and to, you know, students having to um, turn everything in online and do exams online. So big changes for everybody, huge changes for my support team. So we walk in one day, we're delivering everything face-to-face, -face, everything happens on campus, and two, two and a half weeks later, we're delivering everything virtually. It might be on phone, it might be via email, and we are delivering face-to-face using Teams, using Zoom, using WhatsApp, using all sorts of different uh, platforms that work for students. And it's always about thinking about what can work best for the students and trying to work around that. So it's had some advantages. It is working. Students do appreciate it. And what's more is we've really got the word out that there is a huge amount of support still available to students, be it peer support for the students remaining on campus. So my RLM team, the Residential Life Mentors, still remain on campus, as do the whole Residential Life team. And they're supporting the students who are there, having to social distance, and they're having to do it within some very challenging circumstances. But again, everybody has been very good at being adaptable. Suddenly, all the events are online. We're working really closely with the SU to make sure that we've got online platforms that allow students to feel as though they are connected with other students, getting a lot of peer support, having activities on a very regular basis, and all the supports available to help them succeed in their academic studies. That sounds absolutely incredible. I have to say, I think you're one of the first universities I've heard who were planning since mid-January. Most people were probably responding, you know, February, early March, as and when the government was making announcements and putting the country into lockdown. And, you know, as we know, there was no real formal response around that students should leave university and go home. It was more universities were taking initiatives into their own hands. So 
you know, I know your role is very broad at Staffordshire, but it sounds just from what you've said and put so eloquently that there's a real sense of collaboration there in this difficult time. And I think that sounds pretty incredible and a sense that everyone, no matter your department or who you are, you're all pulling together to do what's right by the student. And sometimes you do hear in different institutions that, you know, departments are working in silos and um, maybe, you know, this pandemic um, is helping other institutions to do less of that. Or certainly it's the case of that in Staffordshire by the sounds of things. Yeah, I think this is what's been one of the best things to come out of this. Um, as a university, we pride ourselves um, on one of our values is being connected and connectivity across the university. But what was seen from the beginning was obviously the executive and our registrar and a number of senior leaders within the university saw that whilst we didn't know what was going to happen, we knew we had our own concerns for students, number one, still in China in January, how we were going to get them home. Was it right to bring them home? Was it right to bring them home before perhaps we absolutely had to? And we had to be thinking about the students that we had coming over from China in January and what that meant to our students here. So supporting the students there because we've got some really good partnerships in China and obviously those are working really well and we want to continue that good partnership going forward. So it's about supporting the students who are there and getting them back. And I suppose that really brought it to our attention, how this could change our students' experience. We had students expecting to go back out to China in April from, you know, from where we were, who were going to be the peer mentors for the students next year coming over to China. So the whole idea was about getting that collaboration and getting that buddy partnership and connectivity happening before they arrive next year to so that they too could have a better relationship. So all of these things needed to be thought through early, which obviously focused our attention on what the possibilities might be if this did sp spread as it has done. It's um, something really noticeable that that kind of assurance in your voice and the confidence in the response is something really nice to see and hear because Again, I, you know, this is of no comment of any particular institution, but it is clear, as Rebecca suggested, that it, it took quite a few universities completely by surprise, despite the fact it was potentially around for quite a while. And it sounds as though students at Staffordshire have been very fortunate to be there and also very fortunate for your team and for your students that work with you, because even I listening to you feel really assured and safe around the idea of what's happened because just about the way you talk about it and, and the confidence in the response is really reassuring. And actually that's something that perhaps didn't come out quickly enough in some places. So it's really nice to hear that Staffordshire had that insight and finger on the pulse to see how that was working. And I guess that that has a lot to do with, with you and, and your role, because we've discussed a little bit in advance of today, obviously, and your role sounds really interesting in Staffordshire. It seems to encompass quite a wide remit. It'd be really interesting to hear a little bit about what your role is at Staffordshire and how perhaps you've been involved in all of this COVID planning as well, because it sounds to me like you would have had quite a bit of input in this as well. Thanks for that, Rob. Um, well, so thinking about my role, my role is wide. I am head of student support, well-being and inclusion. And what that basically means is any type of support that students need from the professionals, any type of information students need 
it will be within my remit. So it does include information and guidance, sometimes called information and financial support teams. Um, and they help with students who need financial help, who need to know about our student support fund, sometimes called at universities a hardship fund, and they help them um, apply for that. It, it talks about um, exceptional circumstances and that team helps our students who need, who have exceptional circumstances and need support when they haven't been able to get assignments in on time um, and what that means when they go to academic boards, etc. I also cover student, international student support. And so obviously any students from China, all of our international students, they mean a lot to the university. And they also, we want to make sure that they feel supported. And I think because COVID was all about that international connection, it became very important. I also have the disability and inclusion team within my remit and the student wellbeing and the counselling team. So basically every support service you can imagine. But that doesn't mean that I'm doing it all. I have some fantastic um, colleagues, some fantastic managers within my team. And I'm really I've been amazed at what they've come up with, solutions, ideas, practical, um, operational uh, solutions for how we can move this forward. Um, our student experience manager who runs our hub basically ran the operational side of getting all of us, which is over 40 of us, working from home with computers, with telephones, being able to answer every email coming into the university, every phone call coming into the university, making that work from home and being able to meet with our students one to one online. Wow, your student experience manager sounds like an IT genius. <laughs> no, she's not an IT genius. I'll tell you what she is, though. She's very determined. And when she gets something in her mind that she needs to sort out, she won't leave it until it's sorted out. So she worked very, very closely with digital services. Digital services have been great for both our staff and our students. It just sounds like a remarkable amount of uh, people to coordinate as well. And it's, it sounds like your remit does include quite a lot of teams. And it's quite interesting because I don't know if Staffordshire is potentially a bit different in its structure, but certainly from my experience, there are, there are often quite a lot of layers with all of those teams. It's often not as streamlined into one person or in in a group quite like it is at Staffordshire and I can kind of see the the benefits and and the negatives to that but it, it sounds as though you guys have quite a nice format in so far as having having you as as the individual overseeing all of that yes puts potentially quite a bit of pressure on you as the individual but at the same time is one point of focus, is one place that everybody can coordinate to. And then you have that confidence in the people below you to operationally deliver that. It sounds like quite a, a quite a nice setup, albeit potentially quite high pressure, perhaps, during a scenario like this. <laughs> I think everybody's had a lot of pressure. I don't think it's particular to myself. I, you know, I'm looking across the university and I'm looking at our senior executives. I'm looking at our senior leadership team. And um, I'm looking at all of my stuff, my managers and all of my staff. Everybody's had pressure with this. Uh, you know, it doesn't matter where you are in the university. This has been really challenging times. It's been really difficult. And some of the most difficult things have actually just been about making the decisions. When do we go? 
When does lockdown start for us? Do we wait for the government? Do we make that decision? What does that mean? What do we decide? How, you know, do we keep students on campus? Do we not keep students on campus? And all of these different decision-making processes, I'm part of them, but I'm not making those decisions. You know, to be fair, what I am doing, I hope, is I'm leading my team and giving them the confidence to know that we will sort whatever challenges come along the way, but we'll find solutions to it so that we can, can continue to support our students. I don't always have the solution, that's for sure, but there will be somebody at the university who has got ideas, solutions, and quite often that comes from the team itself who will be trial and error trying to find ways of making it all work together. So yes, uh, you know, I think I am part of a really good team at the university and it feels very good to be part of such a passionate team. The university itself, we're a modern university, we know what we are and we're very proud of what we are. But in doing that, it is about making sure that everybody knows they have their part to play. And pre-COVID, Paula, um, because obviously, I mean, you're not so new in your post now. You started your role back in September on the same day that I started my role. So we are uh, new job twinsies. Um, Pre-COVID, I'm sure you and your team. Yes, we are. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure you and your team had alternative goals and ambitions regarding what you wanted to achieve in 1920. And no doubt now with students having to return home and some remaining in residence, how have you and your team had to adjust to ensure that student support remains a focus and that well-being um, continues to be the forefront of what you do. You mentioned that your team have tons and tons of ideas and often the ideas come from within that team. So I'm sure they've thought of a lot of, of innovative things. I think what it's, yes, we did have goals that we wanted to do in 1920 and, and many of them we've achieved and many of them we've just said, you know what? Yeah, it's difficult. And yes, this is not how we planned it. But do you know what? We're going to continue to evolve. We're going to continue to innovate. So as part of that, we're part of a wider OFS project um, in partnership with Keele University. And that's for supporting student mental well-being. And we were thinking, right, so our next plan was to go ahead and recruit student well-being mentors so that we've got students who are supporting other students as they come in could be with mental health challenges, maybe they're not, maybe they're just students who are lacking confidence, but their peers could give them the extra confidence they need to engage. So what are we going to do? Actually, we're going to continue having them. If that means they have to be mentors and it has to happen online, so be it. And what really surprised me, because I didn't know at that point where students were with this, is we put that recruitment process out there. It's a volunteer role. So these students will not be paid for this, but what they will do is they get a huge amount of experience. They'll get 30 hours of training as being well-being mentors, um, and it will help them towards their volunteering should they need to do that within their role, within their coursework. But what surprised me most was we had loads of applicants. I mean, students were keen to be part of this. So whether that was about COVID-19, whether it wasn't, I don't know. Whether it's about what's happening because of COVID-19 and one of the good things I think that I'm seeing happening across the UK is that people are looking out for others. They're thinking about their own well-being. They're thinking about their neighbours and all the rest of it and people they care about. So maybe that's exactly what's happened with students. But we've had a really good uptake with the recruitment. We've recruited, we're ready now 
for those well-being mentors to be trained before next September, and we'll get that service up and running. And that's going to support our student well-being service because what we want to do going forward and what we've always planned to do for starting in September is starting to work from a thrive model rather than a deficit model. So people have the resilience themselves. It's about helping them acknowledge and see and identify their own ability to look after themselves, their own ability to find solutions for their own challenges. And that doesn't mean people don't need help or support. What it means is they just need a bit of help along the way. And sure, we will have students with complex needs. We will have students who do need further support, uh, might be long-term support. And we will work in partnership with all the charities, with all the external bodies, with the NHS, to make sure students get that support that they get that support by our student well-being professionals. But I think we need to think about this in a wider sense. We've got 16,000 students. Well, we haven't got 16,000 students that need full and complex support. What we have is we've got a lot of people who get worried sometimes and need to be reminded or helped along the way to get over some of the challenges they have. So there's a huge amount of work that we want to do about building from the Thrive model of helping people gain resilience. So I know a lot of the academic um, services are trying to incorporate that within the curriculum and doing that quite well. We've got also our student success manager who's working and has created a resilience toolkit for students over the COVID period to get it out there straight away to our students so that they've got something that they can utilize for self-help for themselves to find their own ways to look after themselves and their own well-being. So we had discussed prior to the actual recording of the podcast a little bit about your students and a little bit about your time at Staffordshire. And I'm really glad you've touched on the resilience of your students because that's something that you mentioned in our pre-chat as well. And you seem incredibly proud of your students, incredibly proud of your teams passing on that message of resilience to students. Just quite interested in how does that kind of manifest in the work that you do and your teams do? How do you instill that resilience in students? What kind of activity or what kind of messages do you give, especially considering everything that's happening at the moment? Albeit it sounds as though it's something that you do even when we don't have a global pandemic. So how do you kind of get that across to students? What's your what's your kind of team's ethos in that regard? Well, I think it, it, it comes from many different aspects and why it's so important for us. So Staffordshire University, when we look at our student dem- demographic, you know, so we've got, what, 59% of our students who are commuters. We've got 48, 49% of our students who come from quintile one and quintile two, which are the two lowest quintiles for um, financial home situation. You know, what that means, we've got 50% mature students, 17% BAME students, you know, and 15, nearly 16% students with declared disabilities. That means we've got a huge amount of students from the widening participation. However, that means an awful lot of these students from very difficult and challenging situations within their home have managed to get to university, which we absolutely have to applaud. They haven't done that because, oh, they've got problems and they've fallen the first time they've got some problems 
and they haven't managed it. They've done it because they're very resilient people. And despite where they've come from or despite the challenges they've had to overcome, they've done that. They've done that themselves to get where they've got to by getting the entrance into the university. You know, so I am I am absolutely proud to be working for staffs for that reason alone. I was a mature student when I went to university. I, I saw it as my way of being able to transform my life. I see that in the students. They see that is this is their way and this is their opportunity to transform their life. If we've got 50% mature students, this might be, you know, last, last chance saloon. From where they're sitting, this is the opportunity they have to transform their lives from where, from the type of background they've come from. So they must have resilience, otherwise they never would have achieved getting into university in the first place. So yeah, I am passionate about it and I absolutely think it's really important. I mean, it, it, some people think it's naive, but I was brought up in the States and I still believe in that American dream. If you try hard enough and if you work hard enough, you can change your life. It doesn't mean you're going to have lots of money, but it does mean you're going to get life chances. And it is all about life chances. And if you go to university, you'll have a lot more life chances than if you don't. That's very true. And I guess it's going back to what you said about the deficit model and how you approach students. It's often I see deficit model being applied in lots of different circumstances. And unfortunately, it's very easy to see it that way. And it's very easy to apply that where perhaps you're then disregarding the fact, as you say, that arguably that idea of resilience has been there the whole time. It's actually about helping those students continue it and realize their potential and realize what they've achieved and actually just saying do you not do you realize how resilient you are rather than this sort of resilient skills training or all of that it's actually about unlocking that idea in their head that if they are aware of that then they can just continue to apply that for the rest of their life after they graduate to their job whatever they want to do in life they can continue to achieve as you say absolutely i mean imagine the first or we've all had it those those they always say don't they people don't um it's not the people who have always achieved something have always been winners that you see do the best it's the people who have had problems, who have stumbled, who have fallen, who have been turned down and thought, do you know what, I'm going to teach you a lesson, mate. I'm going to show you I can do this. The number of people I met whilst doing my PhD that said, I'm doing this to show all those people who told me I was a stupid idiot when I was a child that I can do this. And those were the people who got through. Those were the people who created and achieved their PhD because they just would not be told they couldn't do it. So it's that resilience, it's that bounce back ability. And our students have absolutely got that in, you know, by the bucket full. Sometimes they don't realize it. And sometimes you just need somebody to open your eyes to, oh my God, yeah, actually, I have achieved a lot. So they have a huge amount to offer. And I think this is why I am very passionate. I am very confident that our students can get through this we've had we you know we've had students who've said okay but i'm at a, this university because i thought i could go into the library 24 hours a day use the it there is no it now i'm locked up at home i've no it i can't complete my you know coursework i'm really struggling here 
So the university have, you know, we've loaned students out over a hundred computers have gone out to students who are in that situation. And that's really difficult. And some have now gone back home. They're utilizing that computer, but now they've got brothers and sisters who are also at home in lockdown who didn't have a computer, whom they're having to share that computer with, with parents that their job means they have to work from home, but none of the family could ever afford a computer. So everybody's trying to use this computer. Now, that's really difficult. And those are difficult conditions to be working in. And if you think you're trying to take your exams, you're trying to study for your exams and prepare for exams, very, very challenging times, but they're doing it and they're achieving that. You know, they are working hard. They are having to take turns. It's not easy, but do you know what? They're getting through it. I hope you can't hear drilling in the background because my neighbours have decided to start drilling something in the wall. <laughs> so if you can hear it in the background, that's what's going on. It's not my husband doing DIY at um, <laughs> half seven at night. There's always something. Um, Paula, you talked there about that bounce back ability and some students not realising they have resilience in abundance and sometimes it takes someone to point that out for them. I think, and you probably would admit this to yourself because you're quite humble, but I think actually what you probably do by the sounds of it in your in your team is point out to your staff the role they have in making a difference in those students' lives um, and showing that actually they can make a difference every day in the little things they do in their role. Would that be your, your approach um, in your role? That'd be fair to say. I think that would be fair to say. I think what my team do is exceedingly important. I am proud of every single one of my team ever since I have arrived there. And we do have our challenges. Like every university, we have our challenges. We have far more students that would like to work with student well-being and the counselling team than we've got capacity for. You know, we've got guidance team who are seeing students. We've got a sexual violence liaison team who are supporting students. I'm proud of every single one of them. And it's when they get the one thank you card for from the students who say, you know what, without you, I would not have stayed. It makes all the difference. Yes, it makes difference to that particular professional, but it actually makes a difference to the entire team. So at the moment, we've got the SU awards for um, anybody can put uh, nominate a staff member or student staff member for some of the work they've done to help them. So these are nominated by students, nominate them to say, you know what, this person really made a difference. And we've had several members from both my professional student support and wellbeing team to also the Res Life team. So the Res Life team, we've had a nomination, one of our officers, one of our Res Life officers and the Res Life mentors as a complete team, because all of them have they've pulled out all the stops to support students who remain at university. We're supplying food parcels to students still remaining there on a weekly basis so that they have fruit, they've got veg, they've got meat, or if they're vegetarians, whatever. And they're doing that and working at a social distance as well as studying for their own exams, worried about their finals and all the rest of it and putting in their dissertations and last assignments and everything. So they're doing that as well as that. So I am very passionate about what we do. I believe in the difference it can make to a student's experience. And I also believe it makes a huge difference 
to retaining our students and making sure that they go on to have really good careers. Because I think if they have had a difficult time at university and still been able to graduate, that again is building up a different type of resilience that gives them a lot more confidence when they go into the career. So yeah, as you say, you know, resilience seems to be a really core theme in everything that that you do, and is a clearly a big ethos of yours and of Staffordshire as a whole. And one of the particular areas of your role that we wanted to focus on today was the idea of uh, widening participation, the general concept, and what it looks like at Staffordshire. But I'm conscious that obviously. On the Free Food, Free Drinks podcast, there'll be quite a few listeners from across the HE spectrum, potentially even some that aren't in the sector. So for the uninitiated, is there kind of a short way you could describe what winding participation is or what it entails, or even what it looks like at Staffordshire? And just a, a little bit of an explanation of what that might look like. Well, widening participation, I think, in a nutshell is really just an attempt to increase the the numbers of young people who get into higher education. But it's also about the proportion of underrepresented groups that get into higher education. And as I was saying earlier, you know, we've got 50% mature students and okay, they're not the younger group, but it's getting more people into higher education. We've certainly, you know, got just shy of 50%, um, 48% of students who come from quintile one and quintile two of financial um, incomes. And we've got over 15% of our students with a declared disability of some sort. And then 17% um, from ethnic minor uh, BAME ethnic minorities. So what that means is by and large, previously, it's about these the, those particular groups would not have had the same opportunities as students, as an example, from middle class backgrounds. So what we're here to do is try and help, like every HE, um, redress some of those inequalities in participation between these social classes. You know, and this is one of the strategic objectives of HEFKI, the Higher Education Funding um, Council of England. So this is absolutely important and it's about regenerating. I mean, I don't know whether you know, Stoke is, I, I believe, one of the, the um, five poorest areas in the UK. So this is about rethinking about the whole wider community. And Staffordshire University are there for our university community and for the wider community. And the the more we can do to support that community and the better that that can help the community. As part of that, it is about educating people and giving them the opportunity to succeed and bring in further innovative ways of creating wealth within that community. So innovative business, professional services, be it in the, for the NHS, we've got oh, nearly 600 students working volunteering for the NHS during the COVID crisis. And these, you know, this is our students. We can do a huge amount for the community and we're doing something for building better lives going forward in that respect. It's really interesting actually as well, your 
perception of widening participation because there's quite a, a discussion as well of that widening participation is often quite often seen as access and I think for me my perception of widening participation goes well beyond access and it's really interesting that you reflected it back on the local area because I think that's often something that people misunderstand about the idea of widening participation it's not just about increasing the numbers of certain groups to come in it's about the impact that will have on the wider society as well absolutely i mean it, it i suppose it goes down to the trickle down theory doesn't it you know if if we don't educate our students from every area of society wherever you are in the uk we don't have the opportunity for further innovation, for further creativity, for further businesses to grow and develop an entrepreneurship. And this is our future. So it's not just the future of the local community, it's the future of the national community at the same time. And I read, Paula, a really interesting article this week on Wonky, who have been putting out some great content recently, um, about there being a potential danger to the work that's being done on widening participation because there are more students than ever attending university, which is fantastic. I think it's like 50% that are going to university now. Um, and there's a concern that we can't let the pandemic undo any of that work. And there has to be almost, uh, I think the words were a punk DIY, like really creative approach to ensuring that we continue. Is this a focus for Staffordshire? So for example, would you have initially run open days or summer programs for students to have you know tasters of university life and is it something that you're worried about going forward in terms of numbers and is there work being done to ensure that you can still maintain um, your widening participation goals aspirations? It will be interesting to see how the pandemic plays out with respect to numbers. Obviously there's just ignore widening participation for a second the question may be for this coming year, people's own concerns about their own well-being and their own physical health as to whether or not they choose to go to university or they don't choose to go to university. We've obviously got, with the pandemic, we've got the other implications with financially, there is going to be a significant, and we know we're already heading into a very difficult time for the UK. However, that might have the adverse effect of students saying, well, there is no hope of getting a job. So, hey, I'm going to take this opportunity to go to university. So it, it's almost right where we sit right now. We don't know in the next two years whether it will be this September, next September. It could be it actually increases students' perception that they have nothing to lose but to go to university because they can't get a job. So it's it that. None of us know where we are right now. I think this September may not be the, the answer to that question. That that may come in 18 months' time when people aren't as frightened about actually physical health of contracting COVID-19. And we still have some of the, and maybe much of the, but we don't know yet, the financial implications of what the pandemic has done to us economically across the UK. So that will be interesting to see. However, this won't change some of the outreach work, some of the outreach work. We will continue to do that at the university and we have been continuing to do that throughout. So I think with respect to the pandemic, has it 
changed what we're doing. It's changed recruitment for every university across the UK in the short term. In the medium term, i.e. September, which is our medium term at the moment with COVID-19, um, we still plan, we're having university as normal. We are recruiting students. We are still working with students to help them get through this period. What is going to be most interesting and particularly from widening partic participation, if you think about it, we, we are going to have a year when students have never had that confirmation that they've completed their A-levels because whilst they will get some marks, they will never have done their A-level exams. And I think this is what I notice when I talk to my English colleagues. I've talked to colleagues who are 40, 50 years old, and they will still talk about their A-level results. So that confidence that people receive within themselves when they've achieved those A-level results by completing those A-level exams, we're going to have a complete group of students who have never got that. So I think the challenge may come when you've got students who perhaps didn't have the same confidence in their own abilities, and then they didn't have that confirmation of the A-levels, then they still get into university, but then can you imagine all those different layers and how that affects them with imposter syndrome when they're having to turn in that first assignment, when they're having to have that first exam at university. So they're still not really feeling that confidence of, oh my God, I have earned this place here, but oh, they still let me come. And we've all been there. We've all been through that, but you move beyond that. So I think that's what's going to be fascinating about this coming year, and particularly from students from widening participation backgrounds. So you think about first generation students who have got all that to deal with. The parents can't give them any insight whatsoever as to what it's like being at university because they've never been at university. So what we have to do, and I think this is going to be a key element of one of our strategies for going forward this year is about helping students to believe in themselves and helping them get through those initial hurdles. What we all understand within the W curve of where students have um, that culture shock of arriving at university, I just, my gut feeling is that's going to be exacerbated this year on many different levels. And what is going to be fundamental here is be it online be it in small groups, because we can't do big groups, we are going to have to help groups, have to help, sorry, have to help students find their friendship groups, feel part of this community, feel part of the Staffordshire University community, and feel like this is where they belong. So when it does get tough, when they are going through all the different challenges throughout the year, they still have that support mechanism in place to help them get through those difficult and challenging times. I was just going to say that the topic that you just raised around not sitting the A-levels and how that might make you feel, but also not having the experience of sitting exams that are quite important and also people who are in their 40s and 50s and 60s and still talk about their A-levels. I still talk about my leave and search exams, which are the Irish equivalent. Um, like that is, a, that's a podcast episode itself. My mind is already like, oh, that's so interesting. Let's talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> but it is, it, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be a feature. Like people are going to do research on this, I think, for, you know, many years to come. So you can imagine in 10 years when you're still going for a brand new 
position. You're, you know, becoming a young professional and they're saying, but why haven't you got A-levels? Well, they'll have something that says A-level marks, but they'll never feel like they're the same A-levels that everybody else has got. Mm, yeah, so interesting. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> that's a bit of a scary insight to the future, isn't it? That's a, but that's a really good point. Like, it's, yeah, it's something I, I hadn't considered. Like Rebecca, it, it's yeah, it's going to have a massive impact on their perception in society, arguably, for the next, well, for the rest of their lives. So that, yeah, that, that's a really good point, and it's going to be really interesting to see how this group moves forward. And as as I've I've heard multiple people say, it might have even been Eric in, in the previous discussion we had, this year has been a guinea pig year, almost every year of their lives. Uh, the GCC's changed and the A-levels changed and now they have COVID-19 affecting their A-levels. So how they're going to progress is going to be a really interesting one. And unfortunately for them, I suppose they probably will be researched to death <laughs> over over the next coming decade. Um, but tying into that, and probably one of the to questions to end on, and it's quite a big question, I admit, but it would be interesting to see your insight. How do you think, with all of this happening, do you think we're going to start seeing new issues arise within winding participation? Because as we've mentioned, we've already said we've got first-gen students, but not only first-gen students, also never having done A-levels. But, you know, a lot of things you've already mentioned, things around digital poverty and having access to broadband, internet, even electricity for international students. Some of them, for from where I work, don't have electricity where they live so they have to go to internet cafes to do things and you know I, I just look forward and I think I wonder if the WP agenda will shift and I wonder if the OFS over time will have to adjust how they look at it and whether universities are going to have to deal with new things cropping up because we're probably going to see more financial implications with the recession do you sort of have any thoughts or any ideas on where that might go or, or just sort of any comments or what you think we might start seeing I don't know where it's going to go. I think what COVID-19 has really highlighted to us as a university, how much students relied on university infrastructure, um, internet equipment, laptop, you know, ut utilizing university laptops, university equipment. And I think it's really brought it home the importance of us making sure that students have appropriate digital equipment. And, and part of the challenge with that is, and this is a much, much bigger question altogether, is we all know ourselves, digital equipment goes out of use so quickly. What you buy a laptop generally three, four years later, you're thinking, well, it's so slow and so behind the times, I have to renew it. Now, if you can't get one to start with, that actually means whilst you're at university, you probably need one computer for every person just to get through the whole of the three or four years there. Now, that's quite a frightening idea. But if, if we want everybody to have an equal opportunity, I don't know where I don't know where it will go to. I'll be, I'll be honest with you. I don't know where that will go to. But what it's certainly highlighted me to me is, and we're a digital university, we promote that. We, we're very innovative. You know, we huge importance. Gaming is really important for us as one of our focuses on what we provide. So I don't know where what it means, but I think what it has done is highlighted the disparity 
uh, particularly because of widening participation, but that disparity between between and within our own student body. And I think going forward, I think that disparity is only going to grow. So I think it's very important that we identify, and that might be across the UK, working together universities, how we can identify ways that students all have that equal opportunity, whoever goes to university. But you're right. I mean, people have gone home and even if they've got a um, computer, they may not have any internet connection. So how do they complete anything online? And if we're as a university, like many universities, we're going to be delivering online next year as well as face to face. So we're doing blended learning. So people have to have some sort of access to that. And if you look at technology, if you look at where we're going, it's in every single aspect of our lives. When was the last time anybody used cash? So every part of our lives is about using technology. So students have got to be part of that. But then, you know, what it may happen from all of this, new innovative ideas as to how we make that available to every student, be it a primary student, up to students who are doing a PhD. Who knows? Who knows indeed. And I think um I think that is um a good question to end our episode on, Paula. I have to say this has been such a fantastic conversation and I'm really looking forward to listening back on it because I think I've learned loads throughout this recording, but I know I'm gonna go back and learn a few more gems. So thank you so much. I knew you were gonna be great and you totally surpassed my expectations, as always. <laughs> you're too kind Rebecca and thank you very much for inviting me can I just say it's been an absolute pleasure and an honor to be part of this podcast and I've been listening to your previous podcasts and they're you know they're very enlightening they're very very good to listen to so I think if I can be part of it if anybody gets anything from anything I've had to say well that's fantastic but it's just an absolute pleasure and honor to be part of it all well, we promised you a really engaging and thoughtful discussion. Hopefully we delivered that. We certainly enjoyed that recording session with Paula. And I think, Rebecca, something that really struck me through discussing all of that with Paula was how quick staffs were to react and how much foresight they had. It's certainly a lot of universities had the same, but it also caught quite a few people completely off guard. And it's quite amazing to hear the, the foresight and planning that went into their COVID-19 response. Yeah, she mentioned, as you would have heard, that the university had been planning for COVID and the potential issues associated with that since January. And I think for me, that was one of the first universities I heard had been planning so early. Most people had been responding in late February, March, as and when government guidance came out or just taking the matter into their own hands. Another thing that really struck me was all the stats that she so kindly shared. So Staffordshire University has a high number of commuter students, has a high number of part-time students, mature students, students from um, the BAME group. So really is a diverse cohort of students, which is absolutely fascinating, but also I'm sure presents its own challenges as well. But I think listen to Paula and the work that her and her teams do, you get a real sense that that's not an issue for them. They're they're rising up to that, but also doing great work to ensure all those students feel included and are supported during these times. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, it's this, I was about to say it's all the little things, but it's very much not the little things, but it's getting out that huge amount of laptops to students and identifying students' needs and trying to resolve them as much as possible. I and mean, those kind of things are really 
big things for a university to do and costly and expensive, but it, it's great to see such foresight and planning going into that. And, you know, the thing again that we mentioned prior to the conversation, but it's still true now, and I think hopefully the listeners would have really gained from that, is the the pride she has not only in her students, but also her team. It sounds like there's a real community atmosphere at Staffs and that everybody pulls together. Definitely, that's shone through. I mean, it was almost like a warm and fuzzy kind of episode to record because she was so proud of the work that her and her teams do. You know, she's not a person who's taken all the credit. Absolutely, it's about shining a light on the work that her team is doing and the efforts that they're going to. And no doubt they're pulling crazy hours at the moment, as are many people in the sector. Um, not that I endorse that, but you could see that she is mega, mega proud of the work um, that she does there and the team does, but also just proud to work for Staffordshire, which I think is, you know, fantastic. And she sounds like she's a testament to the community there. 100%. And I think it also goes out to everybody listening who is pulling crazy hours and getting involved in lots of things during the crisis. It's a difficult time to be working in HE, but I think everyone's doing a really great job. And it's just stuff is just one example of the amazing work that's happening in and around the UK and globally at the moment in student affairs and student services. So uh, well done, everyone, for your ongoing work in the sector. Now, we're quite lucky this week to be setting out this podcast episode with Paula. But don't worry, fans of the Free Food, Free Drinks podcast, we have yet another episode coming out, which is even more exciting because it's not going to be another month before it gets released. (laughs) We're going to be quicker than ever and we're going to have a second episode coming out. Now, this is because normally we would look to put two guests on one episode. However, there was so much discussion and so much quality content we found it almost impossible to put it onto one episode. So we've given them an episode each. Rebecca, who's coming up in episode six? Excitedly, we have the wonderful Eric Guance from King's College London, and he is going to be talking to us about equality, diversity, and inclusion. And I'm not sure about anybody else listening, but I am not an expert in this area, and I learned an awful lot from him. So very excited to get that ready for you. It was a really another really engaging and informative discussion with Eric. It covered topics like Rebecca, I'm not particularly familiar with, but it was a really in-depth conversation, a very thoughtful conversation as well. It triggered a lot of interesting discussions, opinions, thought processes, and discussed a little bit about the state of HE and and where it's going to move. So that hopefully will be released a couple of weeks after this one. So not to worry, won't have to wait another month for another episode of your favourite higher education podcast, we hope. Uh, If it's not, then make it your favourite higher education podcast. Uh, As always, we have been loving getting these podcast episodes out and we hope that you enjoyed today's episode as we say the next one will be out in about a fortnight stay tuned and stay safe we will see you all very very soon i might be playing xbox i've caught chicken pox or any other excuse they could say there'll be a man bleeding fights i grow walking a high wire no i never mean to be rude i'm never really interested not even when they've instead it unless they say there's free drinks and food